Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we'd kill ourselves with beer. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading our Patreon book of the month, and it is The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. I'm starting with a, a beer here. This is called Dream City by Other Half. It is an oat cream India pale ale that's 7% alcohol. Dream City, because in the first uh, half or so of the book, uh, our main character, Esther, is in New York, and she's kind of like pursuing uh, her dream gig, maybe. (laughs) She doesn't know, but it seems like it. It's a fine IPA. I don't really know what oat cream is. I tried looking it up, and I just got all these recipes. Oh, they made that up. They made it up. They were just like, it's just something they do. They're like, we're going to use a bunch of oats when we make this, and it'll be kind of creamy, and we'll call it an oat cream IPA. They have a lot of them, especially for their big, like, double and triple IPAs. New England IPAs. Mm. Yeah, I, I, well, I see, like, yeah, I, I don't really, I've looked it up, but you get, like, oat, uh, oat milk, you know, like, uh, some un, un, fucking fathomable abomination. <laughs> like milk made out of oats, somehow. I just get the impression they added, like, gruel to this <laughs> that's what i'm picturing when i think of oat cream it's like like really runny oatmeal and they're like this would have fed a peasant in the 14th century or you could put it in beer today oat cream is probably one of the worst what a time to be alive yeah oat cream doesn't sound very good it sounds like a really horrible sexual maneuver <laughs> so uh the bell jar is a lady book and <laughs> our poll was lady writers in this one by a substantial margin. So thank you, Patreon folk, for uh, picking this turd. I mean, classic novel. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let, let, let's, let's get to it. Starts out, in the summer, they killed, they electrocuted the Rosenbergs. Which it doesn't say the year, but you can look it up. It's 1953. Right. And the uh, main character... Esther, she's in New York City, but she's not from New York City. She's in New York City for a month. She's uh, like just finished college. Yeah, she's, she's got not, a month-long internship. I think she still has to do some shit. She's still in college because she's talking about taking more classes when she gets back. Month-long internship at a magazine. Ladies' Day. <laughs> Ladies' Day. It's kind of like a, occasionally these these college these you know. 20 college girls do in fact do some work for the magazine but mostly they it's mostly just like they send them to these luncheons where everybody gets food poisoning or and then they like go out and party at night and it sounds like the dream and they all live in a, like a hotel that no men are allowed in it's just a just a cat house <laughs> <laughs> it's like a weird female dorm that she lives in with her I guess roommate Doreen. They they all have. I think they have their own rooms. They have their own rooms. But but they don't have their like, own bathrooms. The, like uh, well, bathroom it's, in the it's a cheap hotel. Yeah, it's like an old tenement. <laughs> One bathroom at the end of the hallway. So yeah. she works for this ladies' magazine because she wants to be. She thinks a writer, and she just occasionally has to like look through manuscripts and pick which short story might get published. But she also sometimes ends up in pictures in the magazine, like or like in photo shoot things. I wasn't really clear. At what they one were doing. point, uh, is I wasn't sure either. But I think there was a little section because they all had the internship at the magazine. So at some point in one page of one at one edition, they were going to have the pictures of all the you know young ladies that they brought in for their internship. So oh, each okay. one just you know took a picture with their like special thing. Oh yeah, like the hat designer girl has a picture of her with a hat, or like a picture of like a hat mannequin. And the girl from Kansas just had an ear of corn because <laughs> she just wants to marry a farmer. That is like that was it. I that, didn't make that, that up. That was her entire personality. That was her, was her thing. Whereas our main character Esther is clearly not happy with those kinds of options. I mean, it's like 1953. It's kind of like if you were expected, even if you went, even if you were a lady who went to college that you would either be a secretary or you would just marry some, you know, like business dude or some doctor and then be a housewife. And Esther is 
clearly doesn't doesn't like that idea. Yeah, I uh, actually took some notes on there's a couple of good quotes about that. I was supposed to be having the time of my life. That's like, yeah, that's, that's the first that, paragraph, that's, right? early on. We should add, before we get too far into this, that this book is largely autobiographical. Yes. Well, Very I think we should so. break that down later. Yeah. The, qu- it, the quote I was looking for is when she said, uh, which is right around the time she talks to the mom about that, or she reflects on the conversation with the mom. She says, the trouble was, I hated the idea of serving men in any way. And uh, all of her options would have, that's what they were. So she's pretty, uh, mm-hmm. she doesn't know what she wants to do, but she knows certainly what she doesn't want to do. And it's any of the traditional things that are available to her. So they, they intern for a while. They go on some awkward dates, which don't matter much. Um, they get horrific food poisoning from eating like spoiled crab and then puke for like, like lose days of their lives with this food poisoning. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Just yeah. 20 ladies in a dorm puking and shitting themselves for days and a shared yeah. bathroom. Bad system. Must have been rough. That was pretty bad. Hard to get all new carpets. <laughs> that whole floor was just ruined. No, you know, no wonder she was so depressed afterward. <laughs> She's also very, very insecure about, like she, she never, never goes on a second date with guys. She is insecure about herself, except for Fred Willard. Uh, yeah, I, 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 was, I was thinking Fred Willard <laughs> the whole time too. It's like, hey, what happened? <laughs> like, I got a wheel wed wagon. <laughs> Buddy Willard is the character in the book. Fred Willard is the late uh, amazing comedian. Uh, but yeah, she goes on the. She says that something like, "I never, you know, all through college, I'd never go on a second date. I just studied all the time." And she's like, "I'm really good at school." But that's kind of going to end pretty soon. She's pretty consistently a loner, which is, uh, she's clearly all about um, no socializing anytime. <laughs> she tries to, but she fails every, every time. Yeah, she does. It doesn't go well. This is no socializing anytime <laughs> from Evil Twin, New York City. This is an interesting one. It is a double dry hopped pale ale, not... An India pale ale. I think that's one of the only ones I haven't purchased since quarantine started. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it is one of... Usually, yeah, I'm the only one Nailed not getting it. evil twins, but I saw this one, I was like, hey, that fits. And it's 5. 5. 5.5% alcohol, so that's, it's that's why pretty chill. It. Yeah, it's not, not waste my time. Don't waste my fucking time. <laughs> I don't want to waste my carbs on that. I'm still continuing my quest to find a low-alcohol high flavor pale ale and this is interesting let's try it again it's got what is this nelson galaxy motuka mosaic and citra so all the old hits i fuck with this <laughs> it is not as like punch you in the mouth flavorful as some of these like super double ipa things can be cuz it's just a pa and not an ipa and they're more mellow down in PA, so I hear. <laughs> uh, but it's good. It tastes kind of like a slightly subdued IPA, which I guess that's exactly what it is. But it's, you know, so you or can have really 46 of these. PA. It's, it's, definitely, it's definitely infinitely better than any pale ale I've had that I can think of. I guess I missed out when I bought every other beer. <laughs> you, you're, you'll be fine. Oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> actually, I probably won't be. Uh, the amount of beers I have to drink. I uh, actually just recently went to a, a place that had a lot of cans, and I bought one. It was from Three Floyds, oh, sure. and it's called Alpha Dog. And I was like, oh, nice. That'll go perfect. And Three Floyds is one of those like legendary breweries. Then I looked at it. It's a pale ale. And I was like, really? This is going to be... Anyway, I'm not, not drinking that today. We'll have to save that for a, you a went different episode. You went to Three Floyds or you went to a store that had this Three Floyds? I went to a store that oh, had okay. cans gotcha. of three, three Floyds. Three Floyds is in Indiana. That would be quite a, quite a weekend trip. Yes. So, yeah, she doesn't socialize. She, she, she is never good at socializing. And she gets no. set up by, this, by, uh, by Buddy Willard's mom, right? Sets her up with this Russian intra- translator guy. Constantine? Uh, Greek. Oh, is he Greek? I don't remember. Uh, well, his name's Constantine, so... It's so it was without Greek. an E at the end. I wasn't sure what that meant. And then she's like, 
feels really shitty being around him. She's like, oh, I'm terrible. And that's the thing that happens in just about every scene. She realizes, she just remarks on how unhappy she is with everything. That is and how, consistent, yeah. how she regrets or, or, or looks back on her life and has been miserable since her father died when she was like nine. And she goes on a date with him and then she's like, I should fuck this guy. I really want to, I really want to fuck someone. I'm a virgin and I'm like six foot three. Uh, and she's like, hey, I'll bang Constantine. Well, she's, first of all, it's 1953. So that's like kind of a, definitely a bigger deal. But also she's mad because her like sort of boyfriend for a while, oh, right, buddy, yeah. who like, uh, so, you know, who she was kind of dating for a while in college. Sort of. It was pretty loose. He showed up trying to bang another lady, and she wasn't there. So she said, I'll go out with you instead. And he's like, that's fine. And then they like go on a couple of dates, and she's there. And then he's like, would you like to see me naked? <laughs> and she's like, uh, Call okay. me Silo. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then she says, have you ever had an affair with anyone? Have you ever had an affair? And he's like, what do you mean? Well, have you ever... <laughs> <laughs> Done it. And he's like, oh, yeah, this waitress, waitress one summer in college, like all the time. And then she was like, what? Because Buddy is like, this Buddy Buddy Hackett here, he is like the total like prep school, total straight-laced kind of thing. It's like, oh, really? So anyway, she was, she was trying to lose her virginity as like to get back at him. It's like, you know, it's like an 80s movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's also yeah. spending this time there. He's at a tuberculosis clinic. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> unless, it's like it's like 1853, <laughs> and, he, and 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 he gets fat in quarantine. Oh. Can't imagine how that could happen. Yeah. The struggle is real. Also, while they're while she goes to visit him at the, at the clinic, they go skiing. What kind of a tuberculosis clinic is this? Well, they tend to be in the mountains because of, and this is true. And that this sounds like the a story Jimmy would make up. Air. Yeah, the mountain air is, is better for your humors <laughs> or some bullshit. I, f- I feel like if you have tuberculosis, you probably shouldn't go out skiing, run around in the fucking snow. This has been a thing. This is a thing in a lot of old-timey books, older than this, like books from more like the turn of the, cent- the last century, or I guess two centuries ago, whatever, that you, you go there and they have these ridiculous ideas of what it is to be healthy and to get healthy. <laughs> like, you must dr- take the healing waters at Geneva and then... <laughs> it's- you know, it's totally like Teddy Roosevelt. Like, yeah, like Teddy Roosevelt's like, you just got to be a man and just do man things. Eat a bear in, in the in the wilderness. <laughs> that's how you get healthy. I mean, that's why everyone died of tuberculosis. And now it's just a thing that every once in a while you get a test for it. And you have a little bump on your arm for a few days. And you're like, I guess well, I don't have tuberculosis. Uh, uh, I mean, penicillin had been invented in 1953, but the way to manufacture it cheaply had not been invented. So penicillin was incredibly expensive. Hmm. So uh, it wasn't easy. They couldn't just like give everybody 14 days of a strong antibiotic and see you're cured now. They couldn't just leave out a lot of pieces of bread. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of old bread. Yeah, I like mean, a they, lo- they must a have lot of a stale lot of bread. old bread. People don't buy all the bread. And even the bread you do buy, you don't always eat all of it. You know? Yeah. For the name of science, just leave that shit out. I make penicillin here constantly because <laughs> I don't eat enough sandwiches. <laughs> if they just did that, TB would have been toast. <laughs> no, if there was toast, there wouldn't be enough bread for the, t- for the TB. Oh, God damn it, science. <laughs> Who knew this this complicated? It's a zero-sum game of toast versus tuberculosis. <laughs> Every time you eat toast, someone dies. <laughs> this is I mean, an educational podcast, by the way. That is technically true, actually. You know, <laughs> Those things aren't related, but people are dying all the time. You know, It's just math. <laughs> so um, she doesn't bang Constantine, even though... They both they, fall asleep. They fall asleep because they had like... A mutual nap. Fucking Uzo or something. And, or, <laughs> or Aquavit or whatever ethnic beverage they drink. She just tries new drinks every time because she doesn't know what drinking really is. And she says, I will drink a vodka. You just want a cup of vodka? Like, yes, that is what I would like. Because the no socializing thing. And because unbeknownst to her, she is slowly losing her mind. Oh, yeah. It's pretty clear (laughs) to the reader, though. (laughs) She has a lot of weird little lines in there just like, oh, that's that's not a normal thought, but okay. Uh, In her last, last night in New York, 
she like gets set up on a date and with this Peruvian man who Ooh, at, Marco. at the end at the end of the dance basically tries to tries to rape her and she in the book fights him off. But not at first. At first she's like, Alright, cool if I just don't move, it'll be fine. And then he calls her a whore or slut or something. And she's like, Oh fuck you, dude. And then she fights him back. Yeah. And then he gets really he's like he he starts to storm off. And he's like, Wait, I gave you that diamond pin to wear or something. He gave her at the beginning of the night. Then he said, You're gonna earn this. She's yeah. like, that's not foreboding. Yeah, that's weird. Well, and he also like rape danced her with her too. She's like, I really don't want to dance. And he threw her drink away and then made her do the tango with him. But he's like, just pretend you're drowning. This <laughs> is dancing advice. So just cough a lot? <laughs> Flail? <All right. laughs> and then she says, uh, apparently one can dance for two or something like that, she says. There's a lot of like sardonic lines in the book. It's bleak as fuck. But I'm not. But it's like they're kind of funny, you know. She says these things that are like, depending. It's hard to know what the exact tone she would have said them in, but they're kind of like sarcastic, like really dark, sarcastic things sometimes. Yeah. And you're like, oh, is this? I mean, yeah, that's fuck. It's so fucking terrible, but that's kind of a funny line. And then that's her last night in New York, and then she, you know, she throws away all of her clothes off the roof. Yeah. yeah. Well, because she was like, because I guess. She, she she's from I don't forget where she's from like not the country but like she she's from a suburb of Massachusetts of of Boston she's from the burbs and then she goes to the city to work at the Lady Magazine and she bought all these you know cool clothes that well they also gave them to her like all the all yeah. the intern girls got all these like fancy things from all the other you know internship things and she just like can't even wear them and then for some reason. Like the thought of wearing them is repulsive to her, and so that every and then after she gets nearly raped, doesn't clean herself up, and somehow gets a ride home, sits on the roof and throws them off one at a time. You say this is that's an that's an evening, yeah. And then the next day, I mean, literally, like that was the wee hours of the morning. So then she gets on the train, goes back to Boston, gets picked up by her mom, and clearly. She is not okay. She is definitely not okay. Her mom says immediately, oh, by the way, you didn't get into that writing class that you wanted for the summer. And so she's just kind of stuck at home. She's, she's stuck at home with her mom. And they're, like, not rich, whereas she's, you know, college in the 1950s. So virtually everybody who wasn't there on the GI Bill is from, like, super upper-class you know, fancy New England, New York, like rich people. And she's not. So. And she's a scholarship case because like, she's yeah. so, so hardworking and smart. She's, she's living in a, like a very small like place with her mom. And they're sleeping like, in the same you know, room. Sleep in the tiny. same room. And in within, maybe it's not the first day, but within like a couple of days, suddenly Esther, she's like, she can't sleep. And first she does like seven days Seven days of no sleep, and it finally goes to see a, see the doctor, psychologist. That doesn't help, and she and then the, another seven days without sleep. So she's basically been fourteen days without sleep. And she also can't read; like the words move on the page, and she can't focus. And I think it's mentioned. Is this the point? She hasn't bathed or changed her clothes in several weeks. Yeah, yeah. Like that's textbook mental breakdown kind of shit. Well, be, before she has the full breakdown, she is making plans for her summer that's coming up. She's like, I'm going to do these things. And I'm going to go back to school. And she's like, well, okay, fine. And then by that, and then a paragraph later, she's like, I'm not going to go back to school. I'm going to learn how to be a, a typist to do something. I'm learn not going to do, learn shorthand. And then by the next paragraph, she's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to write my novel. But I, but I can't write my novel because I need to live in Europe for a year and yes. have an affair, and then I'll be able to write my novel. One of the things her boss had said to her earlier in the book was, oh, do you want to be an editor? Well, you need to learn some languages because if you want to edit a woman's clothing magazine, you need to know German and French for some reason. French, I can understand. German, fashion I, don't see, well, I don't see why. Well, you need to understand the very austere fashion that's coming. <laughs> like, it's very practical and... All the clothes are at right Utilitarian. Every, everything's uh, like olive fatigues. Yes. <laughs> Drab. Dark trench coats. It's 1953, not 43. <laughs> uh, whoops. I did like this uh, one 
thing she did uh, when she's in the middle of this process. She's like, I'm going to write a novel, but at first I'm going to eat a cup full of raw egg and raw hamburger, and then I'm just going to go about my day. I was like, that, like, I couldn't tell if that was like an old-timey thing or if that's part of the losing her mind thing. Because there was some shit they did in the old days that was essentially what we would see as insane now, like skiing while you have tuberculosis. But <laughs> yeah, like eating raw egg, it's like one of those things like boxers would do. Yeah, I could see that if it was just a raw egg, sure. But it was a, a cup of raw egg and a bunch of raw hamburger meat. He's having some beef tartare. That's <laughs> very, very low scale beef tartare. I don't think he's ground beef for that. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't afford like the good stuff, you know. She's trying to be refined. Uh, I, I would think that that was her mental craziness. I don't okay. think. I that. figured you guys might know, like, oh, of course, that's something they did in the 50s because it's like, okay, shit, yeah. But I thought there was like a, it was like a 70 30 chance it was her losing her mind. I'm not sure. I mean, that, that does sound like it could be in like the Charles Atlas bodybuilding catalog. You know, like, <laughs> this is what you must eat every day. Low on proteins. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but then her mother takes her to see the shrink who is a smarmy douchebag. And she instantly hates him because he's good looking and has an like attractive family on his desk. He's like he's just putting that there to ward off my advances. Yeah, well, it's like he placed the picture of his beautiful wife and beautiful family so that the patient could see it at the same time as him, just to you know, just to prove that he's so much better than me. And she immediately, she sees the psychologist and clearly knows that something is wrong and wants to be, wants to be helped, but is also like, I'm, I'm not going to tell him the truth. No, no, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong at all. Which, you know, doesn't go well. But then it's like, oh yeah, and I haven't slept in 14 days. Or bathed. I could tell when you walked in the second <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he recommends that she basically sent to a, a mental, the, the first mental asylum she goes to. He's like, you gotta get shock therapy, right? You get the yeah. So, so she goes there, and they like she, you know, she's very sick, and her mother agrees. Yes, she needs something, and of course, it's 1953. So, what do they know? And she gets electroshock therapy, but they do it wrong. Because, as far as I understand, when you get electro, because this is later in the book when she gets it again, you don't, you're not really like conscious for it, or you don't really like feel anything. But when she gets electroshock therapy the first time, she was like, definitely felt it. I read, I read about this. It was like, they fucked it up because you're supposed to give them like muscle relaxants or some sort of anesthetic. Otherwise, this, like the seizures they can cause can like cause you to dislocate your own limbs. So they pump you full of muscle relaxants. So you just kind of flop there and get shocked and you're kind of like out of it. But they just, they just go in dry and just basically shock her while she's fully conscious and fuck her up. I forget how she describes it. It was like the world, the world ending or something like that, or the world shaking or something. She says something like that to describe it. And then she, and she's like, I'm not going to that fucking doctor anymore. Ultimately is what she tells her mom. She's like, thank God that guy was expensive. It was $25 an hour. But then when she, so, so she comes back home to live with her mom again. And, She's there, and she's still not really doing better. And then she finds a bottle of sleeping pills, and then she takes them. Oh, yeah, she thinks for a long... She thinks of, like, every other way to kill herself first. Yeah, and she mentions, like, multiple... Like, even in uh, earlier passages in the book, when she's starting to lose her mind, she, like, mentions, like... Oh, and there was this news article about somebody who, you know, jumped off the, you know, seven story thing. And she's like, you know, the problem with the problem with jumping off a building is if you don't jump from high enough, it might not work. And and then, you know, says even just like a couple of paragraphs, a couple of different methods of suicide. And so she's these are the hints are already in the book before she actually tries to kill herself. So it reminds me there's a poem by uh, Dorothy Parker called, it, this reminded me of reading this part, the, it's called Resume is the name of the poem. I didn't know that, but I, I, I remember the, the lines of the poem more or less. And it's, razors pain you, rivers are damp, acid stains you, and drugs cause cramp. Guns aren't lawful, nooses give, gas smells awful, you might as well live. And except for that last line, everything, she kind of goes through all those steps. She's like, oh, that's a pain in the ass. If I cut my wrist, like, I don't have a fucking bathtub ready. Though there was at one point where she said, like, I felt in my pocketbook among the paper scraps and the compact and the peanut shells and the dimes and nickels and the blue jibby box containing 19 Gillette blades. It's like, oh, oh, okay. 
Just has those in case. Yeah, and she was <laughs> she was carrying around the razor blades with her for for a while. You never know when you're going to need them. Just just wondering when when she was going to use them. Uh, we should also say that the day we're recording this happens to be Suicide Prevention Day. What? Ooh, it really is. I saw that this morning. Oh, damn. And it, it's not it that. So we didn't plan well, so it's not the day this is released, but it is the day we're recording it. So we should just say, as a public service announcement, that there is a helpline that you can call. They actually, there is now a text number you can, you can text to as well, if you don't like making calls. Well, there you go. Because who likes making calls? Who likes calling anybody these days? No one. I certainly wouldn't. I think I've, only, I've spoken to Nate on the phone like one time. So Nate definitely <laughs> falls in that category. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I have a beer for this. This is called Suicide Door by Grimm. This is a... This, anyway, it has a picture. It, it, it has a uh, picture of a car with the, with the old-timey cars with the... Well, I mean, it's a drawing, but, you know, the doors open backwards. Oh. So, like, in, instead of the... Uh, let's see if you can see it. The door mm. opens, like, at the back instead of the front. So if the car drives, it's going to hit you, you know, if you're getting out of the car. Oh, is that why But this is like, that? you know, 1930s. Okay. That, that anyway, is what this those is a, actually. Yep, that is, that is a real thing. This is a 10% triple IPA Ooh. with Citra, Eldorado, Galaxy, and Simcoe hops. Sounds lovely. This is nice. Yes, this is, this is very nice. I like it. I mean, it's, ooh, does not taste like a triple. It's not definitely. It's not. You wouldn't notice that it's ten percent alcohol. Sneak up on you. Ooh, yes, this is good. This is definitely good, especially for such a depressing book. Speaking of good, these beers were brought to us by you, the listener. And thanks you. <laughs> you get a free subscription to the New Yorker if you join our legacy class. Uh, <laughs> you could actually you can get a tote you know, bag. You can get. <laughs> Uh, if you get over to patreon.com slash drunk guys book club, you could find out what amazing things you get. I mean, you certainly don't kill yourself in general, but certainly not until you at least check out the perks at patreon.com slash drunk guys book club because whoo, they're worth living for and killing for. Uh, things like uh, getting to vote in a monthly yourself. book poll, like this book was chosen. And if you think this is a bad choice, well, that's how democracy works. So if I can get there and vote. Uh, also, I will send you. A personal letter, a handwritten note. And Mike, I write on excellent handwriting. I write it in cursive. Uh, I will send you that with our official sticker for you to put somewhere, wherever you want, and take a picture. We'll put it on our our social medias because we're whores like that. We'll even uh, give you exclusive content. You could have like almost almost like a hundred percent more content some months. And we have right now. We're doing a read-along of Don Quixote, perhaps the first novel, modern novel, that you could only access through Patreon. And if you get to our, our highest tier, we will send you not only a copy of that book, but we will send you uh, the Drunk Guys Book Club official pint glass, which I can't legally say it, but it, it makes things taste better. <laughs> Your results may vary, but... <laughs> it makes IPAs taste, us, like double, taste double dry hopped, is what I'm saying. It just, it, possibly. The jury's out. Uh, I have to keep doing more drink testing on it, but I think it tastes, makes things taste better. It does. I haven't tried it yet myself, but I know Mike it's has better. the prototype. <laughs> I had to get the prototype. I, I this is this is this is. I was like the, the stage stage three test, uh, you know, like class whatever the fuck it is in uh, clinical for, for trials. Vaccines, clinical trials, yeah. <laughs> but they're, but they're forthcoming to, to to certain. It does induce a response. <laughs> The response is frequent urination. <laughs> Depending on how much beer you drink. And thank you to the following patrons who've been so generous with their time and money and giving us of beer to us from them. Thank you to Colton, Amanda Mountnate's mom, Aldog, Stephen, Nick, Dustin, Joe P, Crab, Daniel, Amir, Hayden, Mariano, Ciel, and Emotional Support Burrito. So head on over there if those things sound interesting. And if you just fast-forwarded over this, that's cool too. So back to the book. Speaking of Esther, she's out of her gourd. This is Good Gourd <laughs> by Cigar City Brewing. 
Oh, this is an that's imperial be a pumpkin, pumpkin ale. ale. Imperial. This is a liquid monument to the glory of the pumpkin. I don't feel like that deserves a, that. Eight point eight percent. It is. It's got fantastic Ooh. reviews online. It smells like a pumpkin, or you know the spices that we associate with pumpkin. It doesn't smell at all like a real pumpkin. That's fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I normally do not like the whole pumpkin spiced anything. Or like the so million and a half a pumpkin beers. Basic bitch. <laughs> I also don't drink coffee, so that eliminates most of the pumpkin-flavored things and experiences. But yeah, this is fucking good. It definitely tastes like that whole, you know, the flavor profile of the pumpkin spices. It's exactly that. But it's, a, it's an 8.8% ale. I never had an imperial ale, imperial pumpkin ale, I don't know. But it's lovely. They have made... Uh, like barrel aged. I just like that the the names for them. They made barrel aged versions of it. I've never had any of them because they're like one offs. And, and cigar season in Florida, so we don't really see the special ones here easily mm. or uh, readily. But they're like good gourd almighty or <laughs> like good good gourd have mercy. <laughs> so um, she's in the first nut house still. Is that where <laughs> is that where we were? She had left the first nut house. Tried to kill herself, so she, yes. so she goes to the second nut house. And this and this one is paid for by her um, her patron benefactor, her, uh, <laughs> the uh, the lady, she, the woman who was a sponsor of her scholarship, who had Ooh. some ridiculous name like Philomena Guinea <laughs> or something like that. I think that was it. Yeah, yeah. she was very Italian, and uh, <laughs> she sponsored and puts her up in this like posh country club sanatorium. <laughs> Or sanitarium? I don't know which one. I'm is. surprised she would allow that, given how she mentions her hatred of Catholics, like every two pages. Yeah, there are. <laughs> it was. There's a lot it was of a anti-Catholic lot. stuff in this book, and and there's some in the beginning. There were a couple of lines. Where I was like, "Ooh, that didn't hold up well." Like when she refers to someone as a Chinaman. Or no, no, she like says, that. "I looked yellow as a Chinaman because of her fading tan." Yes, <laughs> that, I'm glad you <laughs> that, remembered that, it. I wrote it down. I was like, "What the fuck?" I was like, <laughs> "I guess that was." I, I guess that was less offensive then. <laughs> I mean, that's like one of those terms that nobody says. It's not like the N-word where people say that with hate in their vo- like soul still. Like, I don't think anybody who hates Asian people calls them a Chinaman. It's just funny sounding because it's so dated and ridiculous. Like, it sounds like something a guy selling patent medicine would say. <laughs> but she said it in the book. And you're like, well, all right. We're, I guess that was the time. And then she's like... I can't date him because he's a Catholic. And you're like, oh, all right. You, you she seem... just feels very strongly about Martin Luther's 14 points. Uh, 95 theses, dude. Whatever. Same thing. It wasn't Woodrow <laughs> Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. That was good. <laughs> um, Close enough. Yeah, there's a couple and There's a couple other lines where I was like, oh, that didn't, that didn't age well. Also, with one of the... African-American attendance at this Oh, posh, yeah, this is the other one I was trying to remember. <laughs> at, at this posh, you know, sanatorium. And I don't, I don't remember exactly what she said, but it wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't good, no. It, it doesn't hold up. It really doesn't. I'm not sure it held up back then either. <laughs> <laughs> it was 1963. It was, yeah. you know, they could have published it in the South. Well, it was actually, it was published uh, in England in 1962. It doesn't get published in the States until like 1970 or 71 or something like that. So she's in the uh, sanatorium and she's undergoing therapy with a new, much better doctor who's not just like, let's shock your puss and see how it happens. (laughs) And it's a lady doctor. It is a lady. I'm surprised that was even allowed back then. She might have been the only one. So is Esther. She's like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And this doctor actually listens and uh, earns Esther's trust as opposed to the other guy who was, kept telling her the same stories. Like, he wasn't even listening to her. Like, he kept saying, oh, I remember the girls of that college were pretty. He says that to her at two different times because he d- doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't even remember her. Like, wait, which college you go to? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There were some really pretty nurses there back in the war. <laughs> and he says that all, every time he sees her. That's all he can think of. Uh, the new doctor is, is great. And she's doing like sessions with her and they seem to be helping. And this is, I think this is around the time when you actually hear the title of the book 
or maybe it happened already, what the bell jar refers she to. She mentions the bell jar. Yeah. But it's, that's like the, how she describes her depression. Right? It's like this, like a bell jar, like a, a thing you'd put over a cake, <laughs> you know, like a, a yeah. bell, like a glass dome thing. I wrote it down and said, uh, she's talking about like how she, you know, she was, she was doing well in this thing and she's feeling like she should be getting better and all that shit. She says, I knew I should be grateful to Mrs. Guinea. Ugh. At least she didn't call her the guinea. Yeah. <laughs> Only I couldn't feel a thing. If Mrs. Guinea had given me a ticket to Europe or a round-the-world cruise, it wouldn't have made one scrap of difference to me, because wherever I sat, on the deck of a ship or at a street cafe in Paris or Bangkok, I would be sitting under the same glass bell jar, stewing in my own sour air. Well, it's because she didn't bathe for weeks. She's basically pig pen. <laughs> um... So here she meets, she makes some new friends, but she's constantly running into people that she knew somewhere else in the book. It's Joan, Joan something or other, I forget her name, who... Because she's also in the sanatorium. Who, who uh, went to, co- she went to college with, yes. and she's like, oh, I read about you in the newspapers, and then I was like, I'm going to kill myself too. And then she shows her the article where they talk about finding her when she was unconscious before they brought her to the hospital, and she doesn't recognize herself. It's like, who's this lady? Well, it's kind of weird. Well, is it when, when she wakes up in the, after she tries to kill herself, isn't like her hair cut off or something? Like, and she's all, like her face is all fucked up? Yeah. Like, she looks very different. She was all bandaged. And then you take it to do a reveal, and she's all like disfigured somehow from it. It's like that episode of The Twilight Zone. She's not a with pig. The, with, with pig noses? <laughs> yeah. So then she meets Joan, and Joan, I, I don't really know what to make of her. Like She's like, I, I read your story, and then I forget what triggered Joan to try to kill herself, but she was kind of like inspired by Esther. I don't know. She was kind of just, you know, one of those girls who was never going to find a nice man to take care of her. But, like, Joan had also dated Buddy. Maybe that's, like, the... Wasn't Joan the yeah. one that he showed up to go out with and she wasn't there? Maybe. So, so that's how it's Esther like a big gap between you hear that first story and when you meet Joan, so I don't really remember. Because... <clears throat> so, anyway, she's... Uh, uh, Esther is at the thing, at the place for a while. And then, eventually, she's given more freedom. Like, she can go out on the town, which is Boston. And stuff happens, although later, though, Joan actually does kill herself. Like, they, they, because Joan also was given privileges to leave, but instead she goes out in the woods and kills herself. Well, she, well that was after, it was when, um, fuck, what's her name? Esther lies and says she's at Joan's, she's going to stay at Joan's place. She gets permission mm-hmm. to stay out overnight. No, she bangs that math professor who's a big oh. nerd. Wait. Did you say she has, maybe briefly, a little a crush on him? He has a crush on her for about 14 minutes. He crushes that puss. I don't know. There's some crushing happens. <laughs> well, it does it's because she accurate. bleeds incredibly. Well, it's not grape. Uh, this, it's, uh, he doesn't grape her. <laughs> it's very consensual, this crush, uh, the crushing of the puss. This is Grape Crush from Finback. It's a double IPA with grape. With, uh, it's dry hop with Citra Blanc and Mosaic, and it's 8% alcohol. This is a series. They have had Orange Crush and Pineapple Crush and Crush Together. And Grape Crush came out. You can't buy it now. It's fucking months ago by the time this fucking episode comes out. Uh, it's great. I mean, it's it, grapes a weird flavor in beer. Yeah. You know, if you put imagine. too much, I don't really want a grape drink beer. So you get a little bit and just it kind of ends up having more of a, a wine flavor. Does it taste like grape or purple? I mean, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. When I think of grape, the flavor, I think of purple, uh, not, not, not the actual little, you know, fruit. This is this is great. Finback knows how to make a goddamn IPA. This was though my least favorite of the Crush beers of theirs I've tried. Grape is a weird flavor. Yeah, it just it just doesn't. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know what else they could do though. They've already done pineapple and orange. I guess they could do like grapefruit crush, or maybe they did a lime. That'd be good. Lemon lime crush at one point. I think they did. Citrus flavors tend to go really well with IPAs. Other fruits are going to, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, so she meets this, this nerdy guy, and she's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him fuck me. Let's get this over with. And uh, he bangs her, and then she bleeds like she's that. Hemorrhages. When, he, when those doors open in The Shining. <laughs> yeah. 
And then she goes, and jo- Joan isn't dead yet because she makes Joan take her to the hospital. She's like, I fell or something. She <laughs> lies to her. I fell on my vagina. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I do that all the time. So really awkward angle, though. Like a whole chair went in. <laughs> and then she goes to the doctor and he's just like, oh, yeah, this happens rarely. But yeah, and then he just like, magically makes it stop bleeding. And I really like, want to know what it is that happened that just ha- oh yeah it's normal like sometimes they you get banged and you just bleed well, like someone it, stabbed no, in you in the scene before she had gone to a doctor to get what birth control was available oh, yeah, in 1953 which was the diaphragm so i have a feeling it was something had gone wrong with the, wrong with that she was using maybe like beach th- towels worth of blood <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh the longer you wait to lose your virginity the more blood builds up oh you know? well, that's like a dam it's like a yeah exactly it's, it's a fever <laughs> dam. <laughs> oh, good luck everybody. <laughs> then I mean, cutting out of order, but later on she tells like I was like you got to pay for my doctor's visit, and he's like okay cool, and she's like and when can I see you? Can she's like never. <laughs> I'll send them a blank check. Yeah, how are you gonna how are you gonna fucking how are you gonna handle that bill? He literally he literally sent the hospital a blank check. Yeah. Because that was a thing you could do in the old days. Like, just, you know, you're good. I'm good for it. Just put in the amount. It Just put in the amount. You know, it'll be fine. Well, the only medicine available was like, do you want insulin? She was giving, getting insulin. Like, you don't have diabetes yet, so let's, let's play it safe. Here's insulin. Insulin? She's on insulin. Yeah, she was on insulin. Oh, I don't remember that. That's no, she, then she gained twenty pounds. Uh, listen, we don't want you to hurt yourself, and we certainly <laughs> don't want you to you cut diabetes. off any of your toes. <laughs> Is that so, a thing medicine, that they did back then? Medicine back in the day, they just had no idea. Medicine back then was like doing a Rubik's cube in the dark. <laughs> did that solve it? I don't know. Let's try this way. <laughs> and every once in a while, a car drives by and the headlights light up the room for a second. And you're like, oh, that was definitely not the right way. <laughs> and then, then, then it's back in the dark. <laughs> Especially psychology. Oh, yeah. They were saying, listen, it works on rats. So um, she's still in the sanatorium. Is it sanitarium? Which one's the Metallica song? I think it's sanitarium. I thought it was sanitarium, but you guys kept saying sanatorium, so I just went with it. I thought, oh, maybe I'm wrong. I think they're both. I actually don't know. Okay, let's I just say the clinical correct. term is nut house. <laughs> Back then it was. So a, there's such thing as a sanitarium, but I feel like I've also seen it spelt with an O. Oh, wait. A sanatorium is like for t- people with TB and other long-term oh, illnesses. So Buddy's in the sanatorium, oh. and she's in a sanitarium. You know, if we if it sounded like we got it wrong at any point in the episode, I'll just say that me and Jimmy are from Queens, and it's our accent. We pronounce vowels all we the same. We made an error. I erred. It was wrong. Of fucking shit. <laughs> I don't know. And Nate, I can't really explain. He's from the woods of fucking... I didn't say it. That's because... You did. they don't have hospitals where Nate's from. <laughs> <laughs> no, just... You just go to a medicine man. <laughs> you trade him. They just you use sharp with moose antlers to put you out of yeah, your misery. Exactly. <laughs> well, you got a toothache? <laughs> yeah, yeah toothache. Their, their treatment for toothache is a string and a door. <laughs> like, let's get that out of your mouth, dude. They haven't invented string yet, Michael. Well, it's it's, a, it's like a made from venison. Yeah. It's strips of rawhide. <laughs> it's just strips of rawhide. You can do it. So um, she's still in the place, and, and she's, she's getting like downgraded to less, less uh, pr- restrictive things. And I guess she keeps it. I don't know. Does she keep it a secret from the doctor that she got she got porked? In the or the doctor well, she, doesn't she matter. Wa- she tries to. I mean, is there really anything else? And ultimately, she's like, no, I'm, she, she, she gets, feels she better. Her, she goes to her exit interview, and it ends. That's it. Yeah, you don't actually hear how the interview goes, but she was well, it an exit interview, or is it more like a uh, it's like a parole hearing? Yeah, kind of like a parole hearing, but for your brain. Like, if we mind. let you go, are you going to like? Kill yourself this time? It's like definitely not. They're like, okay, bye. <laughs> Good. Full proof. <laughs> Full proof system. All right, and then she leaves. Uh, well, then you don't know if she leaves, we don't but know, you yeah. know, she, you know, whatever. She wrote the book. All right, so that's the plot. The book is super famous. Now, Platt, now. Well, it came out a month before she died. Yeah. Well, no, it came out, and then a month later, she killed herself right. because it didn't do well. Not really. Even, not not. That's like the it, it was the, it was the, the immediate reviews impetus. Were, 
the review okay well we don't actually know but the reviews were not glowing they were lukewarm they were yeah they were like it's okay it's basically what the reviews it when it came out it came out in england first it came out in the uk first so that's what the reviews were and i mean a lot of other stuff and then she and then she killed it was herself. definitely a contributing um, factor though it probably it was probably going to happen I inevitably mean, okay it's it's actually hard to i mean it's actually hard to say why someone would do that so i don't think we could yeah, make the claim probably. that You're it right. is definitely a contributing factor but the timing is uh, you know notable we could just say well the the she had tried to kill herself in the past the story as jimmy said is oh, it's semi-autobiographical the story of taking the sleeping pills and largely high- autobiographical probably yeah i don't um but the story of her taking the sleeping pills and then getting found that happened to her she did that that was a real thing. She crawled under the porch of her family's house. Instead of the crawl brother, space, her okay, brother right. found her three days later. Yeah. So that, which is pretty much what happens in the book. She, except she's in a crawl space or something. But oh, she's lost. Yeah. So she had a history of depression and suicide attempts. And, um, yeah. Which, by the way, is the number one risk factor, like, for, for, for someone who might might who's a risk factor for for uh, attempting suicide is in fact they've attempted it before or have been hospitalized for such behavior i actually so i didn't know i only read this for the first time this week but uh in the spring i read malcolm gladwell's newest book and it's about many different things but there is one chapter on sylvia plath uh, and it's about suicide. That is like the the main point of the chapter. And he he said one thing in the in well, he said multiple things. One thing he said in the chapter was that poets have a suicide rate that's five times higher than the national average because they realize how fucking dumb their job is. Like I write poems, <laughs> poems and that, suck, and that uh both Sylvia Plath and one of her, some of her close friends, like real life close friends, they really like, they talked about suicide all the time. They talked about how they would do it. Like they talked about, and it was just sort of, it was on their minds all the time. And they, they, it was a big part of their life. There is also a hereditary thing of depression and such. Like her son killed himself. Sylvia Plath's son killed himself as an adult. I mean, as like a sixty-year-old man, like it was like recently. No, oh, okay. And he was like a, uh, a toddler when she killed herself. Her kids were very yeah, young. She, uh, my wife is a big fan of this book. She told me about this. Uh, when she killed herself, she duct taped the doors of her children's yep. rooms because she killed herself by putting her head in the oven. And so she wanted to make sure they would be okay. So she duct taped their rooms shut and let open the windows. So when the people found her, she'd be they'd be okay. But a lot of the stuff in this book was things that actually literally happened to her, like mm-hmm. getting, the getting the shock therapy the wrong way the first time. And so what has been happening in the ensuing decades is they find or are given a bunch of like letters that she wrote to other people, or they like find her journals and they publish them. They're like, look, let's get some money. Or like, let's learn more about what she was really like on the inside. Because she she was a she wrote like three books of poetry before this, and she was doing fine at that. And she wrote this novel. And this and was her was only like, novel. Because you sent me this article, I know what you're about to say. To her shithead husband, or, or, or the shithead which is, husband, yeah. Yes. So so literally in 2017, some letters that she had written to a, a friend or no to the psychologist were were basically unearthed from somebody and they were basically made public and in the letters so this talks about her marriage to her husband his name was ted hughes who was a very he he is totally eclipsed like he is known as sylvia plath's husband but yeah. he was a extremely mm-hmm. successful poet oh really he, yeah, was, he was the huge. poet laureate of the united kingdom or of england whatever one of those two Mm. From 1984 until he died in like 1998 or something like that. He was a very, very successful poet. But the longer he lived and the more Sylvia Plath's like legend grew. Because she was Mm -hmm. not that famous when she died. But she's become this like feminist icon largely because of this book. 
And the more people have reassessed him and looked at his work, and it talks about his relationship with her in these letters that you're going to talk about, and it reveals information about their relationship, and what a fucking dick he was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so now that's, he, I mean, that's like I, all I forgotten. I haven't read the letters. I'm just reading this article on LitHub that Jimmy sent us. So Hughes beat her two days before she suffered a miscarriage in 1961. Hughes would have nothing to do with their second child, Nicholas, because he was a boy. Oh, yeah, I saw that. A usurper <laughs> to Hughes' male do- dominance. There's nothing more That's masculine than being a poet. That's <laughs> having a boy child. And then Hughes taunted Plath after their separation to kill herself. He also like, cheated on her constantly. And in fact, one of the women he cheated on her with I don't know if he actually, I don't know if it's more than one woman, but I know one, he cheated on her with this one woman. Uh, I forget her name. Um, but they had a, probably had a kid with her. They, de- they definitely had a kid. Well, that woman killed herself too. And the kid by, uh, she didn't tape up the doors and shit. She just brought, that brought them into the kitchen and opened the oven door and they just they killed herself and her, their four-year-old kid. Grim. So he, he was, I mean, I don't know if they were together at that point, but. That's a little weird. I read this one weird article about some... You, know, you can find someone to defend anyone in this world. And some, some woman wrote, like, you know, we never really think about like how it affected him that all these women killed themselves while they were with him. It's like, <laughs> I don't think that's what we should be concerned with. How do you think the bullets feel when they hit people? <laughs> what? He also said, he has a great quote when Sylvia Plath died. He said... And it turned out to be fucking true. He said, my life is... I'm not going par- to not get it quite right, I'm sure, but he said something to the effect of, my life is over now. Everything after this is posthumous. Like, that was the define. That is now the defining thing about Ted Hughes, the very successful poet, is he was married to Sylvia Plath. I don't know shit about poetry. I've tried to learn about poetry. I don't, no, I don't yeah, really enjoy it. I don't, especially my... I, I like, like old poetry, like when it rhymes and shit. You're like, oh, that's fun. But modern stuff, like I'm like I'm not gonna work for 17 hours to understand these 11 lines. Like I'm not, no thanks. So I don't know if he's a great poet or not, but he was very successful at that and at uh, killing women <laughs> indirectly. Yeah. And he also burnt her diary. She yes. had a diary, and, and a he destroyed it. He destroyed it, and only allowed the Bell Jar to be published in America because he wanted the money. Yeah, he wanted to buy another. He wanted to buy a house, and so he's like, "Okay, we'll we'll let that." It's you know the legend had already grown to a degree, so he allowed it allowed it to be published. So the wrong person killed himself. Sounds like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, it's it's very likely based on everything she wrote in this and all of her other stuff that we've read. Like in, the people have read in her journals, like it was clear that. She might have eventually killed herself, even if she wasn't married to the worst man in the world. I, I, mean, I don't want to like pretend I know anything enough to like. People always like want to armchair diagnose people, but I would imagine she was a diagnosed person with depression or bipolar or I something. I mean, she already had the warning signs. She already had like the the, the the number one warning signs before she was married to him. Yeah, so she was, and she thought. Like a lot of people do, not just people with depression, but just in general, people think like, oh, if I get these things in line, my life will be great. I'm just missing these things. And sometimes that might be true, but it will, clearly was not what was missing for her was getting married and having children. And also, by the way, when they went, I forget if it's her mom or his mom went with them on their honeymoon. <laughs> that was probably a thing back then. In, the, in the, like 1958? Like that seems yeah, weird. Things, things are... It was... It was decently long ago but it's not that long ago but things were really different then it was just a fucking weird time like things that we would consider like just absurd were common even in the 50s like eating a cup of raw hamburger (laughs) i don't think that was that common (laughs) i see in this one thing uh one of the other things i found they talk about uh some of the stuff she wrote in her journals and she wrote in her journal december 1958 what to do with hate for mother why don't I write a novel? And then a little while, I was like, I've done it. Because <laughs> she hated her mother. Hated her. Her mother was an overbearing, like, very religious kind of... She was the, she was the mother from the book. 
also it was the this the bell jar was so autobiographical that she didn't want it published in the United States. Oh, she yeah. was like kind of afraid to have it published in the United States because I mean the names were changed, but it was you know it was it was clear to anyone who knew her that this was she was just telling what happened to her. Maybe slightly embellished. Yeah, that LitHub thing that you were talking about before that we found was mm-hmm. the... It was an interview, basically, or a discussion with the actual psychiatrist who, in the book, is the nice one. But she's like, yeah, no, she she was... Uh, things were rough for Sylvia. The story about the book... on I mean, I actually enjoyed reading the book. This is the second time I read it. And I, I liked it. It was It was fine. But the story about the book is almost more interesting than, to me than the book itself. Like the story about her and her life and what the book has become since its publication is kind yeah. of more interesting than this, this plot of the book, which is just, it's like the plot of Girl Interrupted. <laughs> it gets really Dude, I just, actually saw Girl Interrupted like less than a month ago, and it, it, the similarities were pretty intense. I'm sh- I can't imagine that the. Well, that was also a book first, I think. Yeah, it was. And I, I mean, that might also have been autobiographical and also took place around the same time. So a lot of things like are going to happen. A writer who is suicidal ends up in an asylum in the 60s or 50s and, has, you know, talking about, it was more about like the, the other women in the thing, but like the background there was like, this is a lot like Girl Interrupted. Though I imagine Girl Interrupted is just a lot like the bell jar. Well, it's like a, the, a lady version of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> Yes. One flew over the cuckoo's breast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That That actually works really well. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Every once in a while we get one. So I I was, when you said that article, I read that. I read a bunch of those. I read like the entire, every like Wikipedia linked article to this book. It was very, it was fascinating stuff. And I, I'm not, uh, I'm not a young woman in the in the years, or an not old anymore. Woman. Anyway, you're not a young woman in the 1950s or in the 1970s when this book came out in the states. But this is a really popular book with young, with particularly with younger female readers, you know, who are around the age of the character, which is like college age. Super popular book with that audience. I don't 100% get why it would still be that way in 2020. I can understand why it wasn't It's like one of the first huge, like, like proto-feminist works. Yeah, it is. Just ladies like, going on town, I mean, fucking, the, I mean, especially partying. the first half. The first half, yeah. And then she's kind of like a martyr for her, for wanting to, li- I mean... Mm-hmm. She, the tragedy. Yeah. That's better, it. Way, I guess. I liked it. I thought it was good. And I don't have a vagina that I know of. I mean, I, I read it for the first time. This week, in fact, I've read the last half of it today. Busy day at the office, but, huh? uh, I had to actually fucking work. It was crazy. Madness, anyway, yeah. uh, so I, I found it interest, really interesting. It was relentless, relentlessly depressing all the way through. Oh, yeah. It was just like, holy shit. Oh, yeah. my God. Actually, the very beginning, you don't really know where it's going. Because I, I really didn't know pretty much anything about the book. And I was just like, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to... And then it was like, holy shit. Oh, my God. This is... It's just so sad, so depressing. But I found it interesting that, like, language and the words she used are really well done. And I found it interesting all the way through. But, man, it's depressing. Well, it's basically oh the looking inside and witnessing firsthand someone having just a full breakdown. And yeah. someone who's able to actually articulate that, which is rare. Yeah. And as as I'm, like, reading this and, and reading some of the other, like, incredibly depressing things, like Beloved, and <laughs> my very, very selfish thought that I have is, holy shit, things could definitely get worse. Hmm. Like, oh, my God. Everything's relative. This, it, like, things could, like... You know, coronavirus, this is, like, not a great thing that's happening. But, man, things could get worse. <laughs> I, that's, that's what I end up thinking to myself, like, all the time. You could be an institutionalized woman in the 50s. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. There was one thing that uh, happened in real life, too, was that when she went to the top of the hotel and threw all her clothes off after getting attacked by that dude, that really happened. She was set up on a date mm-hmm. with a guy 
And it's possible that he actually did rape her because in the book, she fights him off. Yeah. In real life, she might not have. Yeah. And she did go to the top of the hotel and just throw away everything and just shut down, which, you know, I'm not a fucking doctor or some, someone in trauma therapy, but that sounds like things did not end as well as they could have in that circumstance. Well, that's, that's, that's great to know. Yeah. Yeah. It was like they, they interviewed a, a woman who was there. She's like, yeah, I remember her doing that. And it was really weird. It was her last night. It's like, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Is that Doreen? Uh, it was someone named Anne Burnside Love, which is a great well, name. She, 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 she changed all the she names. She changed all the names, So yeah. it, was, it, was it was probably it was one of the other girls. In the book. The Roof of the Barbazon instead of the Amazon, as it was in the book. Wow, that's not really that veiled. <laughs> no. <laughs> no three yeah. letters. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is very much autobi- autobiographical. She just changed some of the names. It's probably what it was. You know, they say, write what you know. So that's what she wrote. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she basically did write this. She told her mother, said, what I've done is to throw together events from my life, fictionalizing to add color. It's a pot boiler, really, but something I think will really show how isolated a person feels when he is suffering a breakdown. And it's like, she wrote it to, in order to free myself from that past, from the past. A cathartic kind of thing? I also said, she, I read somewhere that she wrote it also because at this time, like 10 years ago, 10 years before this came out, one of the most popular books in the world was a book about um, being in a mental institution. I was like, ah, people are into this sort of thing. I can write that because I did was that. Was it called The Yellow Wallpaper by uh, Charlotte it was not. Gilman? It was not called that. Because <laughs> we have read that one. No, this was a full book from like the 40s. I don't think it was written by a woman. I don't know. I don't remember what it was. But she's like, ah, people are into this sort of thing. I could definitely do that. Because she's been, she's been trying to write a novel for a while because she was just a poet. Mm-hmm. Not just a poet. She was a poet. She wanted to be a novelist or at least part of the time. And so she wrote this thing, and it didn't take off right away, and then she killed herself, and then it blew the fuck up. She Bradley Knowled, basically. After she killed herself. Yeah. Oh, Bradley Knowles, wow. She Bradley Knowled. Well, some of the writing is sublime. Yeah. She, she might have had to practice Santeria <laughs> in order to make that happen. Her husband was definitely a bad fish. <laughs> and she read about, went about things the wrong way. But she's like, hey, this is what I got. <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for allowing us to keep doing that, Nate. Uh, when Jimmy didn't take the bait, I was like, oh, fuck. I only know like four Sublime songs. That one song is fine. Two they have, songs They have three or four that good. are pretty good, and then two or three albums of like, I don't care about this. The most, most of the songs only sound good if you smoke two joints. Hey, that's one of those songs. <laughs> that was a cover. Before you smoke two joints. And then you smoke two more. Is exactly. that a cover, really? That's a cover? I think it's a very old song. I mean, I've, I've heard, a, I've, by I've Willie heard like Nelson? a million versions of it, so I don't know, actually. Maybe, maybe it is just theirs. It's stupid enough to be their song. No, it's, it's, it's a cover. You're right. It's like an old, it's like an old ska song, I think. It's, it's from the 80s. Yeah, really 80s. Like a like reggae two, thing. Two-tone, oh. two-tone ska. Old. Kind of yeah, because the 80s is so old. God. Nate, you're in your 80s, so it's different. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time reading this book, Nate was like, what, they let women vote? Like, <laughs> What's next? They let women have jobs? Why isn't her husband telling her what to do? <laughs> Speaking of husbands, uh, my wife would be upset with me if, she didn't, if I didn't mention this theory that has been going around among plath people. Was that... Um, Plathopi. Plath... 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 I don't really can't think of a plath scholars, uh, but there was a theory like, going around that they timed, like looked at all the times of her like diary entries and like the times of dates she wrote letters, and it's a possibility that she had uh, PMDD, which is basically like, for lack of a better word, mega periods. Oh God! So it was like every month around the time of her PMS normal time. She PMDD is, is a real thing that people have. Uh, she just had a super severe case. It's like it's like PMSing, but times a million. Like you get like full depression, like can't leave pre-menstrual the pre-menstrual dysphoric disorder. Yeah, it's like a fucking catastrophe of a thing. And she might have had it because they looked at all these things. It's possible she was just depressed all the time based on her not bathing for a month usually. But it could have definitely been a contributing thing. But you know that's a fan theory, sad fan fiction. I don't know who that helps that theory. You know, like uh, that sounds like the sort of thing like a dick guy would say, like, 
maybe she's had bad periods. Like that's, <laughs> that's not. I don't know if it's the most like empathetic no. thing you want to say about this tortured <laughs> artist who killed herself. Like, maybe you're fucking cooch blood too much. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> How do you feel about that? <laughs> but also, like, all right, myth science. Maybe that's real. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, it's like every every time. Tell that to the feminist, the fe- like the feminist reader, like Phil- Sylvia Plath, change my life, and you're like, I heard she just had really bad periods. <laughs> see, <laughs> see how that goes. I don't think it'll go well. <laughs> and like, no, no, it's a thing. PMDD. Let's see how far you can get into that sentence before you get kicked in the fucking <laughs> balls. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got that theory on the record. <laughs> hey, a lady told me to it. Told it to me. So. A lady you're married to. <laughs> yeah. She's definitely right. Well, who should read this book? I think uh, I think anyone who likes literature should read this book. Uh, it's, it's a super famous yeah. classic book. It's, f- frankly, it's, I mean, I, I personally don't care that much. Or like, I need to read an even number of male and female writers or whatever. I don't, that doesn't influence my reading picks often. But this is a great book. It is written by a woman. And it might be, if you read like just strict canon... You're not going to find many female writers. And this one, I think, is actually worth reading. I think it's actually really good. It's interesting. It's different. It's not what you would, um, you know, it's not, I don't know. I I expected something very different from this. I don't really know what I did expect, but I wasn't expecting this, like, gradual mental breakdown and, like, dealing with a shitty, unforgiving world at the time. I think it is something more so than, way more so than a lot of other books that, it is a completely different experience the more you know about it. Like, it is a good book on its own, but once you understand the story behind it and the story of her, it completely changes the book. Or, like, it it triples in understandability. Yeah, that's fair. Well, if you listen this long, you don't have to read the book, but you should. But you should, because it's better written than us talking about it after reading it a while ago. And it's a short book, and it's... 300 pages maybe but it's it's a it's a fast enough read i don't think i don't think you'd really regret reading it honestly there are not very many well-written first-person accounts of losing your mind there's probably a reason for that <laughs> maybe actually uh, it should be poorly written <laughs> it's really like about going bananas so check it out tell us what you thought send us an email to drunk book club at gmail.com follow us on twitter at drunk guys bc or go to facebook and instagram at drunk guys book club if you've listened this long, and then you know what we're going to say now, but please leave us a review wherever you're listening. That really helps us out. And if you are feeling particularly uh, magnanimous, head over to patreon.com slash drunkguysbookclub where you can give us money to support this endeavor. You will almost certainly not regret it. Regret is a word we've never heard. Your results may vary. <laughs> and check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.